The Nats Chat Podcast brought to you by Walters. This weekend, bottomless brunch starts at 11 a.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy bottomless mimosas, Bloody Marys, Truly, and Bud Light for only $20 with your purchase of a brunch entree. This Saturday night, UFC 265, Jose Aldo taking on Pedro Munoz and main event Derek Lewis versus undefeated Cyril Gaon. Make your reservations for this week's events now at waltersdc.com slash reservation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No sense. Runners take their leads. The pitch. Breaking ball belted to deep right center field. This is way back. This ball is Three-run home run for Josh Bell. Giving the Nationals the lead for the first time today. It's the Nationals five and the Phillies two. Kyle fitting into the belt. The kick and the 3-2. Swing and a drive into the gap in right center field. That's going to get down for extra bases and tie the game. Herrera in from third. Torres around third coming in to score. And into second with a booming game-tying two-run double is JT Real Muto. And the pitch, swing and a drive hit well to left center field. Hernandez on the run, won't get it. That is down to the bullpen fence in left center. Real Muto has scored. Harper around third coming home. He will score without a play. And Salcides Escobar has the throw in from left center. Reese Hoskins comes through with a booming two-run double to left center for his third hit of the game. And the Phillies have come up large here in the top of the ninth inning. Four runs home for Philadelphia. It's now the Phillies seven to the Nationals five. And welcome to Nat Chat for Friday, August 6, 2021. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, flying solo on this installment of the Nats Chat pod. Mark Zuckerman has the day off. Tim Shovers is working, but he is on location. And so it is you and it is me. Zuckerman and Shovers being out. That's like the Nats being without Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson. So consider me, you know, Wander Suero or Sam Clay or Gabe Klobositz or I guess after this game on Thursday, Kyle Finnegan. Pick your reliever. The Nats, though, they wish they could pick any of many relievers out there right now. Can't do that. Such is life these days. And Kyle Finnegan, who had done a good job in the role of closer, unable to get the job done on Thursday. Nats blow a ninth inning lead, 7-6 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on Thursday, completing a four-game sweep. Yes, the indignity of a four-game sweep to the Phillies has been realized. Nats now a season worst, 11 games below 500 at 49 and 60. The Nats since improving to 40 and 38 are nine 
and 22. How about that? I mean, you go back to that two-game sweep of the Tampa Bay Rays not that long ago. The Nats since then, 9 and 22. 22 losses in 31 games. Although, remember my edict on the last installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, a Nats loss can be a win if certain guys do well. You know, so you think about it, it's like, okay, when the Nats win, that's a win. When the Nats lose, that can still be a win. So <laughs> the Nats could go undefeated the rest of the season if you really want to spin things in a Nats-centric way. But uh, no, you can't do that. Not with this game on Thursday. We did not have enough of those certain guys do well in this game on Thursday. Although we did have a few of the key guys do well down the stretch here of the season. And that really is the way to look at these Nats games. It's like, okay, there is the outcome. We'll talk about the outcomes of these games, but the process is what matters the most. You know, what matters the most isn't what happened. It's who did what. You know, the who did what to me matters more than the what happened in the actual game. Now, when it comes to this game on Thursday, you kind of have both colliding. And that brings us to Carter Keboom who was the Nationals' starting third baseman in all four games in this series. The Nats right now, to me, are doing exactly what they should be doing with Carter Keboom. They are putting him out there, game in, game out, and it's sink or swim. They're saying, hey, Carter, show us what you can do over the final two months of this season. This is precisely what I wanted the Nats to do with a guy like Carter Keboom. And to his credit, he is hitting, and he had another good offensive game. Swing a line drive over the leaping shortstop. Gregorius, a base hit to left field. Soto will score. The Nationals are on the board. Josh Bell stops at second. Carter Keboom drives in another run. His sixth of the year. His fourth of the series. It's now the Phillies two and the Nationals one. Two for four with a double, an RBI single, and a walk. Carter Keboom had a one-out full count double to the left field corner in the bottom of the second. He had a one-out RBI single to left field in the Nats' two-run fourth. He drew a two-out seven-pitch walk in the bottom of the seventh despite having been down to the count at one point. One-two, that was a good piece of hitting there. You down one-two, you're able to work a seven-pitch walk. So three really good plate appearances for Carter Keboom on Thursday. Here's the deal with Keboom. He, over his last eight games now, is 11 for 27. 11 for 27. Two homers, a double, eight singles, and four walks. He's known for his bat. He's been delivering with his bat for a week plus now. So I want to give him credit for that because that is a big step forward from what he had been doing in previous stints at the major league level. But Keyboom's defense has been suspect, been suspect for a while now. And it's been certainly suspect in this latest go-round for him at the major league level. And the defense proved costly in this game on Thursday. Carter Keyboom with a very tough defensive play. He on a Ronald Torres grounder in what ended up being a four-run Phillies ninth inning did make a nice backhanded stab while going into foul territory, but then had trouble getting the ball out of his glove and made an errant throw for what went down as a throwing error. Finnegan delivers, swinging a ground ball up the third baseline. Fair, nice play, Keeble in foul ground. The throw to first is high and pulls Bell off the bag. All four Phillies runs in the inning ended up being unearned because of the air. Now, that's a separate conversation. You know, baseball scoring, I don't understand why it has to be like this. I know it can be really intricate, and this can be kind of tedious for people to get into, like, okay, what is an earned run? What isn't an earned run? But you tell me, like, if you watch that game on Thursday, does it really feel to you like all four of those runs off Kyle Finnegan in the top of the ninth inning were truly unearned? Like, none of those runs were earned by Finnegan. All of those runs are the fault of that quarter keyboom error. I mean, I don't see things that way. If you break down what happened in that ninth inning, Kyle Finnegan, top of the ninth, gives up four runs, all of which were unearned. He gives up a leadoff double to Odubel Herrera on a 1-2 pitch that had nothing to do with the keyboom error. Then did see, yes, Ronald Torres reach base on the throwing error by keyboom. And then Finnegan got two outs. You can't just assume that those two outs would have been gotten 
had Kibum made a better throw on the Torres grounder. You can't like adjust reality in that way. That's a different universe. If Kibum makes a better throw on that play, who knows what happens in the ensuing two plate appearances. Anyway, Finnegan gets the two outs and then comes what? A two out full count game tying two run double by JT Real Muto to tie the game at five. Then Finnegan issues a two out intentional walk of Bryce Harper. And then Finnegan gave up a two out two run double to Reese Hoskins. So in an inning in which Kyle Finnegan gave up not one, not two, but three doubles, all four runs off him are unearned. Does that seem right? Does I mean does that, does that seem just? So anyway, that's a scoring thing though. I mean, whatever. Finnegan didn't get the job done. But yeah, Keyboom's error loomed large in that inning. And if what happened with Keyboom on Thursday sounds familiar, it should. He had a very similar play happen in the Cubs series in which he makes a nice stab of the baseball while going into foul territory, but then makes a poor throw. I don't know what the deal is, but you tell me if you disagree. It seems like Keyboom has a hard time getting baseballs out of his glove. I don't know if that has to do with like the webbing of his glove. I don't know if that has to do with the size of his glove. I don't know if he needs to like oil up his glove more. I'm not sure what's going on there, but I've noticed this multiple times with him. He seems to have a problem getting baseballs out of his glove. You know, maybe all the sticky stuff that the pitchers were using somehow wound up in Keyboom's glove. And now the balls are sticking to his glove when he's trying to get him out of the glove to make a play. I'm not sure, but this is not the first time this has happened, what happened with him on Thursday. So very good offensive series for Keyboom, very good offensive stretch for Keyboom. But the defense continues to be a problem, and it was a problem in this game on Thursday. So too is Finnegan. And, you know, Finnegan, like Keyboom, is a guy we monitor down the stretch of the season, right? Could Kyle Finnegan be the Nats' closer of the future? He had been looking good in that role, did not look so good, even though all of the runs were unearned in the game on Thursday. Nats Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. His first pitch, Garcia grounds one toward the middle, ranging Torres. He dives, keeps it on the infield, throws to second, not in time. Headed home, Hernandez, the throw there is in time for the out. With Rio Muto applying the tag, Gregorius with a heads-up play throws home. Hernandez trying to score from second. On the ground ball in the infield, he's caught on a close play at the plate. I thought an interesting game for Yadiel Hernandez, who right now is pretty much the Nats' everyday starting left fielder. He, he's been hitting pretty well. Uh, was the Nats' number five batter. That's been the case here recently. So he goes one for five with a single, but a couple of things really stand out with his game on Thursday. So the single, two out full count single, bottom of the seventh, good piece of hitting, was down to the count at 1.12. But what happens to Yadiel in that inning? He gets thrown out at home for the final out of the inning. Now, this was a wacko play, and let's give credit where credit's due. This ended up being a stellar defensive play by the Phillies. I mean, in, in some regards, it's almost like, you know, the Nets were playing aggressive and they tried to do what they could to score, and the Phillies just made every aspect of this play work. So it's a Luis Garcia two out first pitch single on which the Philly second baseman, Ronald Torres, makes a great diving stop. Torres then tosses the ball to the shortstop, D.D. Gregorius, at second base for a force out that was not made. But then Gregorius, without stepping forward, so like with one foot next to the other, essentially, fires the baseball home, and he does this over Carter Keboom. Carter Keboom had gone into second base. Gregorius essentially throws the baseball over Keboom with both feet next to each other, so not stepping forward. And he makes a great throw to home plate where Yadiel gets tagged out by catcher JT Realmuto. So, I mean, if you want to rip Yadiel for getting thrown out, okay. But man, I mean, the Phillies made every aspect of that play work. That was a really good defensive play by the Philadelphia Phillies. So that moment stood out for Yadiel. And then how about Yadiel getting clobbered by Reese Hoskins? Fastball squibber back to the mound. Nola boots it, drops it, picks it up, and then throws it wide past first as Hoskins reaching for the ball ends up in a collision with Yadiel Hernandez through the bag, winds up face down, and Hoskins on the seat of his pants. That was a big-time heavyweight collision there. In the bottom of the second inning, now this was a scary moment. So Yadiel reached base with one out, bottom of the second, on a throwing error by the Philly starting pitcher, Aaron Nola. The throw caused Hoskins to leap into the air, and he ended up with his right arm essentially forearm smashing Yadiel to the ground. Like if you watch the play in slow motion, <laughs> that's what it looks like. It looks like Hoskins is throwing a forearm smash right to the face of Yadiel. He goes crashing to the ground. He lay there for at least a little bit. It was scary. You were like, man, is he concussed? Thankfully, he looked to be okay. I mean, I don't think that was intentional at all on Hoskins' part. Although, like I said, if you slow it down, it does look like he's, you know, he's throwing jabs at Yadiel, but I don't think that's what Reese was doing. That play stood out from the game as well. So an eventful day on which uh, Yadiel goes one for five 
for the Nationals. Also, interesting game for Juan Soto on Thursday. Two for three with two singles and two walks. So this ended up being an uneven series in a lot of ways for Juan Soto. He's getting on base, you know, like I think there's a different grading with Juan Soto because he's such a great player. So it's like when he's getting on base, that's good. But you want more. You want homers. You want him hitting for power. He's back to not hitting for power. We've been talking about that on the Nats Chat podcast. He gets on base four times in this game on Thursday. Lead off five pitch walk in the Nats two run fourth. A six pitch walk in the Nats three run fifth. A leadoff single on a one two pitch in the bottom of the seventh. But what happened in that inning? Soto ended up getting doubled up at first base for a double play. So really, Soto was kind of in no man's land there. You may say, well, why did he run towards second on the soft line drive? That ball caught just above the dirt. Torres could have let it bounce and get the double play that way. Off a Josh Bell liner. Now, again, this is kind of like one of these moments where a lot went well for the Phillies. I mean, Bell hit that ball hard. It ends up being caught and Soto gets doubled off. But you can't get doubled off in a spot like that. You got to be better than that. So you know, multiple bad moments for the Nats on the base paths to varying degrees in this game on Thursday. Uh, Soto did come through with a one-out full count double in the Nats' one-run ninth inning. And Soto also made a very good defensive play in this game. Good-looking, leaping, and backhanded catch above the short wall to rob D.D. Gregorius of a home run. 2-1 pitch. Swinging a long drive right field. Soto drifting back, racing toward the track. He's near the wall. He leaps, and he caught it! He robs Gregorius of a home run at the bullpen fence. One of the best plays Juan Soto's made in his big league career in the outfield. For the first out in the top of the seventh inning. That was a really nice play. That's not an easy play to make. And Soto made it. You know, we're not used to him robbing home runs. You know, he's uh, he's not someone who's necessarily known for doing that. He's not Torrey Hunter or something like that. But he has done a good defensive job in right field this season. We talked about that. Soto's year, like, there's a tendency to only look at the hitting, and that's understandable. But look at the defense, too. He had a step-back defensive season last year and left. He, this season, of course, has shifted over to the more important defensive position of right field, and he's done a good job. You know, he stepped over and he stepped up. Like, he's done a good job in right field, and I thought that moment was kind of reflective of that. So I don't want to just pay lip service to defense. Like, I want to salute the guy when he does well in that regard, and he did do well uh, in that regard. But a lot of things going on with Juan Soto in this game on Thursday as well. Dave, they noted on the broadcast that uh, Soto looked like he was limping a little coming in from home in the, late in the game there. Did anything happen to him on that play? It was a weird play at second when the ball hit off the base. It was, yeah, it was a weird play. Um, he said he said he felt something in his knee. He's getting he's getting checked out as we speak. Uh, you don't know more uh, tomorrow. We had another home run for Josh Bell. That's something to be thinking about. Josh Bell, to me, is a piece moving forward for the Nationals. And he remains, I think, for the most part, locked in. You know, it's so interesting with Bell his numbers for the year still aren't that impressive. Like, he had one terrible month to begin the season, and it was a terrible month. Since the start of May, though, he's done a good job. So here we are now, well into August. You're looking at May, June, July, a week or so into August, and still, his overall numbers for the season, they're not that good. Like, they're not woeful or anything like that, but you'd think they'd be better than what they are. Like, I think about Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber got off to a bad start to this season. He went nuclear in June, and his numbers for the season were great at that point. Now, I know it was a tremendous month that Schwarber authored in June, but Bell now, we're working on multiple months here. This guy hitting well, and still for the season, like you look at it, he's only batting 251 on the year. He only has an on-base percentage of 310, but he does have a slugging percentage now of 480. He is now second on the Nats with 19 home runs, and he had another big homer in this game on Thursday. Tie-breaking three-run shot to right center field on a 1-2 pitch from Philly starter Aaron Nola in the bottom of the fifth to put the Nats up 
5-2. That was some home run. That was a big home run in the game. I mean, certainly in the moment, you felt like that could prove to be the game-winning hit of the game. The homer going a projected 413 feet per stat cast. But it's not just the homer. And, you know, Bell hits for power. He's doing a good job this season hitting for power from both sides of the plate. I mentioned he's second on the Nats with 19 homers. Seven home runs have come with him batting right-handed. 12 home runs have come with him batting left-handed. So he's not one of these switch hitters who is, you know, doomed when he bats from one side of the plate. He's capable from both sides of the plate. But Bell had a couple of singles in this game, too. A seeing-eye single through the right side of the infield in the Nats' two-run fourth inning. You know, a little bit of uh, puck luck on that hit, but that's okay. You know, you're allowed to do that. And Bell, you're speaking of puck luck, a one-out run scoring single in the bottom of the ninth inning. You know, this was a wild and wacky Nats-Phillies game on Thursday. We've had a lot of these games this season between the Nationals and the Phillies. Weird things happen when the Nats play the Phils, especially this year. And this game was no exception. Multiple moments like that. And this is one of them. So the one-out run scoring single in the bottom of the ninth for Bell, it comes with him despite having been down to the count at 1.02. This is a play on which the ball hit second base. The Philly shortstop, D.D. Gregorius, then had a throwing error and Soto was awarded home. Like, Didi ended up essentially spiking the ball into the infield to try to bounce it to first base. I guess that's what he was thinking. Probably should have just held on to the baseball. Soto was awarded home. With Gregorius behind the bag at second, the ball hit the bag and bounced high up to Gregorius, who then grabbed it with his bare hand and from shallow center field threw a one-hop throw off the mark and by Hoskins and went out of play. I mean, truly, the odds of you hitting a, a soft line drive off the second base bag are astronomical. And the Nats cut it to 7-6. Like, so this was close. You know, this wasn't some situation where the Nats gave up a bunch of runs in the top of the ninth and tapped out in the bottom of the ninth. Like, the Nats, the boys battled it, as Davey Martinez likes to say. So that was another interesting moment in the game on Thursday. Bell 2 now, for those of you who care about runs batted in, number one on the Nationals in RBI on the season with 60. Another thing that stood out from a position playing standpoint for the Nats on Thursday, Alcides Escobar had another error. And, you know, you think about Alcides. So he missed four consecutive games due to a hit by pitch. And the issue had to do with a wrist. So he comes back from that four game absence. We first see him in the game on Wednesday night. Okay. He's the Nats starting shortstop, number two batter. And he in the game has two errors, uh, including a two out throwing error in the Phillies one run eighth inning. And that was a weird play. And I mentioned this in our last installment of the podcast. That was about as routine of a grounder as you'll ever see. Like the baseball was pretty much hit right to Alcides. You could argue maybe he felt rushed a bit because the guy who hit the ball uh, was a fast runner. But still, like that wasn't some super difficult play. And he was off on the throw. Sure enough, what happens in this game on Thursday? Alcides Escobar, he nearly commits a throwing error with two outs in the top of the fifth inning. So he was actually initially charged with an error. Travis Jankowski was batting. It's a Jankowski grounder. Jankowski can run. And Escobar makes a bad throw. The Nats, though, challenge the play, and the play gets overturned into an out as it was ruled that Josh Bell tagged Jankowski. So technically not an error for Escobar in the game, but he was off on another throw. And you do wonder, is the wrist the issue here? Like, it's hard to ignore that coincidence. He has had the wrist, I believe, taped up. He certainly missed multiple games because of the wrist. And now he's had, you could argue, three error-worthy plays over these first two games back here. So something to be, and I'm not, I don't know that he should be out there necessarily right now playing defensively. He's going to have these kinds of issues throwing the ball. Escobar did have a hit on Thursday, a leadoff single on a one-two pitch in that Nationals three-run fifth inning. So the Nats starting pitcher in this 7-6 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Thursday was Joe Ross. 
You know my saying when it comes to Joe Ross by now, spin the wheel, make the deal. You never know what you're going to get from Joe Ross in any given outing. And this was one of those rare Joe Ross starts this season in which he was neither great nor awful. He was kind of right down the middle. Uh, And I thought actually he was more good than bad. Like if you have to drop this into one bucket, I thought Ross was actually pretty good in this game. The final line is three runs and six into third innings. Uh, You know, it's not spectacular, but it's obviously not terrible. He gave up just five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks and a hit by pitch. He had seven strikeouts. He threw 59 strikes versus 25 balls on 84 pitches. I thought he looked pretty good for the majority of this outing. Now, he gave up a run in the top of the second, although to a degree, I thought Ross was failed by his defense in the top of the second inning. As you can probably tell, this was not a cleanly played game in the field by both teams. But Ross gives up the run in the top of the second, leadoff single by Reese Hoskins on a ball that got by Josh Bell. I mean, it was not an easy play for Bell to make. And Josh has done a good job defensively at first base this season, so I'm not going to crush him for this. But Bell was kind of like falling down on the play. And I don't know how realistic it was for him to make that play, but it was, I thought, makeable to at least an extent. So you have that leadoff single by Hoskins, then a two-out seven-pitch walk of Odubel Herrera by Ross, and then a two-out first-pitch RBI single by Ronald Torres on a ball that got past a diving all CDs Escobar. Again, not an easy play to make. You do wonder, though, if another shortstop maybe makes that play. The shame of this inning, this one-run Philly second, was that Ross off the leadoff single by Hoskins, then recorded back-to-back three-pitch strikeouts of D.D. Gregorius and Alec Bohm. So, you know, Ross, who's been a much better strikeout pitcher this season, did a nice job in that second inning and then ultimately got God in giving up the run. Uh, Ross gave up another run top of the third, a two-out solo homer by Bryce Harper to dead center. Bryce Harper's 99th career home run at Nationals Park. Look, you got to give the devil his due. Harper had an excellent series against the Nationals, all right? There are no two ways about it. He just, he had a very good series. He killed the Nats in this series. And that was some homer. Again, to dead center, the ball went a projected 427 feet for StatCast. And this was a milestone homer for Bryce. This was home run number 250, number 250 in Bryce Harper's regular season career. So that was a shot by Bryce. And then Ross gave up his third run, top of the seventh inning, went out first pitch double by Alec Bohm, went out RBI single by Odubel Herrera. But I didn't think Ross was bad at all. You know, it just was kind of one of those games, a few moments got away from him. But beyond that, he certainly put the Nats in a position to win this game. This was his 19th start of the season. He has an ERA of 4-0-2. And that's kind of what Joe Ross has been this season. Now, he's done it in a Jekyll and Hyde manner, right? For the most part, he's either been great or been bad. This game was kind of down the middle. Haven't been many of those outings for Ross this year. But Ross, to me, is a guy who you look at for next season and beyond of, all right, he's not an ace of a staff. He's not a number two or even really, I think, a number three starter. But can he be a serviceable number four starter for you? I think the answer is yes, he can be. But we need to see more of that from him. You know, we need to see more of the good than the bad. You're going to see some bad with Ross. You know, he's not a dominant starting pitcher. I want to see him finish this season with an ERA in the low fours, I would really prefer the high threes. You know, you do that, you say, all right, that's more or less the Ross we saw in 2015, 2016. That's a serviceable rotational piece for the Nats moving forward. So let's continue to see that. And I thought the Ross, for the most part, who we saw on Thursday was along those lines. This was start number three for Joe since coming off the 10-day injured list, which he was on with the right elbow inflammation. And sure enough, the first two outings, right? One was really good. One was really bad. 6-5 loss at the Phillies on July 26th. Joe Ross in that game, five scoreless innings. Very good. The next outing, 6-3 loss to the Cubs at Nash Park on July 31st. Five runs, four earned, and four in the third innings. Really bad. So, you know, like the porridge. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. Well, the first outing was very good. 
Next outing, very bad. This latest outing uh, was kind of down the middle, leaning toward good from Ross on Thursday. And then with the Nats bullpen, we went through what Kyle Finnegan did. The other two relievers utilized by the Nats on Thursday, I thought looked good. Ryan Harper had another scoreless outing. Now, it wasn't perfection. He faced five batters. He got three outs. He did issue back-to-back two-out walks in the top of the seventh inning. But ultimately now, Ryan Harper, and that's Mark's guy. Mark loves himself some Ryan Harper, and he should. Ryan Harper now on the season has an ERA of 0.90. He has a whip of 0.75. I mean, Ryan Harper's done a good job this year. And like I said, it wasn't perfect on Thursday, but again, ultimately he gets three outs, is officially credited, right, with a scoreless inning. And Mason Thompson, the guy who the Nats got from the Padres in the Daniel Hudson trade, he ended up looking good in this game on Thursday. Top of the eighth inning, does give up a one-out single to the first batter he faces, Reese Hoskins, but then gets the final two outs, including a good-looking strikeout of Alec Bohm on three pitches. So next up for the Nats is a six-game road trip, three games at the Atlanta Braves, then an off day on Monday, and then three games at the New York Mets. Game one at the Braves Friday night at 7.20. And we did get word from Davey Martinez on Thursday that the five members of his coaching staff who had tested positive for COVID-19 have been cleared. And they will travel Sunday to New York City and then rejoin the Nats for the series at the Mets. So good news there. Yeah, this has been some lengthy absence for these coaches. I mean, Davey's been working with a makeshift coaching staff for a good while here. And uh, good to get these guys back. And hopefully everyone is doing well. So good news there. Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week, like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.TV. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today. And one of those future stars is Yordi Barley, the shortstop that the Nationals acquired from San Diego in the Daniel Hudson trade last week. So far in his first four games with the Fred Nats, he has four hits, including one homer. All right, uh, we always love hearing from you guys. You can hit us up via email, Podcast at gmail.com. Got this email from Peter Alterman. He writes, really enjoy the podcast and your combined knowledge. Thank you, Peter. I'll pass that along to Mark. Uh, says Peter, understand the rationalizations for the sell-off to stock the farm system with prospects, but I wonder why the system was allowed to get so thin in the first place. That's a very worthy question to ask. And as I've said, I think there's some self-reflection that has to go on here with the Nationals. You know, I think Mike Rizzo is an excellent general manager, but that doesn't mean that he bats a thousand. And I think Mike has to look at his last decade of first round picks, especially, and say, where did we go wrong here? How come so many of our first round picks have not worked out? And you know, it's not just first round picks. How come the Nats haven't had more diamonds in the rough? How come the Nats haven't had more, you know, day two draft choices who have ended up uh, developing in surprising manners to where they end up becoming quality major leaguers? Like, is there something inherently flawed with Nats player development? Is this just a bad run? I mean, again, nobody bats a thousand. So maybe you just have had some bad luck. But I think there needs to be a self-scout on all this of, hey, where did we go wrong here? Instead of just, well, we need to get better prospects. Well, yeah, but how come you're in this spot to begin with? I mean, I think that is a totally fair issue to raise. And, you know, of course, it's not just Mike Rizzo, right? We use Mike Rizzo as shorthand, but 
he's got himself an entire baseball op staff, you know, like Rizzo is the president of baseball operations and general manager. But, you know, you have someone like Chris Klein, who has a very good reputation. Chris Klein is the Nats assistant general manager and vice president of scouting operations. So a guy like Klein has to look at his process and his people and, you know, where have we gone wrong with this stuff? I think every good organization does that. And I would hope that the Nats are doing that because it's not just about making trades, right? You got to do better with your draft choices and not just your first round picks. You know, again, diamonds in the rough, like the good organizations deliver on non-first round picks. And the Nats are capable of doing that, but have not been doing enough of that. You can email us in written form. You can also email us in voice memo form. You can record yourself asking a question or making a comment. And so we'll play this for you right now. Our friend, the Rally Mullet, submitted the following voice memo. I'm just thinking here in the long term, but if the Nats were to get a top 10 pick out of this season, would that be a win or would that be a loss as far as the season is concerned? All right. So I'm not sure if the rally mullet was recording that in the middle of 495 or what. But anyway, uh, thank you, rally mullet, for that question. You know, if this was the NFL or the NBA, I would agree with you. I would be like, you know what? If you're a Nats fan, you really should be rooting for the Nationals to lose and lose hard down the stretch of this season because the higher the draft choice, the better. But the way the MLB draft works, I mean, yes, you're better off picking higher than picking lower. But the draft is just such a crapshoot and so random that I'm not sure that there's that much of a difference between picking, say, fifth and 15th. You know, now I know uh, slot money enters into this stuff. So, yes, like you would prefer a higher pick. I'm not saying you wouldn't. But this isn't like other pro sports leagues in which there really is a difference between picking, say, five or 15. Like in the NFL draft, there is a big difference between picking five or 15. When the team now known as the Washington football team was wretched in the 2019 season, I, as a lifelong fan of that team, was rooting for the team to lose out as that season went on. But I, attached a caveat to that. And that was, I wanted the young players to play well. And that kind of ended up happening down the stretch of that season. Washington finished three and 13, ended up getting itself Chase Young with the number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft. I don't look at this Nats season the same way. And I also would say this, if the Nats do do reasonably well down the stretch of this season from a record standpoint, that probably will be at least in part because the potential young building blocks are doing well. And I think that's what matters. Like, if the Nats do okay and cost themselves a few draft choices, but the doing okay comes on the backs of people like Carter Keeboom and Victor Robles and Luis Garcia and Kyle Finnegan and Joe Ross and Eric Fetty, then that's a win for the organization. That's good because that means that those guys are legit or at least legit enough to where they can be pieces of the next playoff contending Nationals team. Speaking of the Nats farm system, the prized possession of that farm system on display on Thursday, Cade Cavalli the number one pitching prospect in the Nationals organization, uh, certainly now that Josiah Gray has been summoned, Cade Cavalli pitching for A Harrisburg on Thursday, one run in five innings, eight strikeouts versus three hits and three walks on 100 pitches. The one-two pitch, swing and a miss at a fastball. 98 miles an hour, nothing across for Erie. Stay healthy, Cade. Keep developing, Cade. And I'm guessing at this point, we're not going to see him this year, although you can probably tell by the way I'm saying that we're not entirely sure on that. But next season, I think next season is when you see it happen. And, you know, the idea of Cade Cavalli, Josiah Gray, Jackson Rutledge leading the way for Nationals rotations for years to come, that's the hope here, okay? That's what you're eyeing now. Your next triumvirate 
right? We had in 2019, Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, your next true triumvirate, if things go the way they're supposed to go, is going to be in some order, Cavalli, Gray, Rutledge. That's what you're eyeing, okay? And, you know, Patrick is still under contract, so hopefully Corbin gets his act together, but you can't count on that at this point. Cavalli, Gray, and Rutledge. That's what you're looking at. That's your Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin for years to come, hopefully. We're not there yet, obviously, but that's what you're hoping for right now if you're a Nats fan. One more email for you. This comes to us from Tom in Chiba, Japan, as the international reach of the Nats Chat podcast never ceases to amaze. Now, my man Tom in this email, he... He, he wrote us like a master's thesis, but it was a very good email, all right? A very smart email. Tom knows his stuff. And the gist of the email was Tom examining Trey Turner, examining comparable players, examining how they aged through the prism of wins above replacement for baseball reference. So Tom was speaking my language and concludes Tom in the email, quote, bottom line is with young players, teams can get one war, one win above replacement for about one to $1.5 million, sometimes cheaper. Older players cost five times that if you are lucky, end quote. And that's exactly the point, that you pay retail for older players. Even if they're good, you're not getting them at a bargain. The beauty of the way things are set up right now in baseball is guys in their peak athletic years, and your athletic peak is not what people used to think it was. Like I think a lot of us grew up thinking athletic prime is like 28 to 32. That's not true. This has been studied in multiple sports, like not just baseball, but in the NBA, this has been looked at a lot. Athletic prime is more like 24 to 28. And so because teams have team control of most players for six years, and most guys are getting called up, you know, give or take around the age of 21, 22, you know, I know it varies for guys, but like just generally speaking, what do you have right there, right? Six years of team control for a guy who comes up to you in his age 22 season, you're getting that guy in his athletic prime. Now, if PED usage is running rampant, well, then the aging curve is different, right? And that's why in the 1990s and 2000s, you saw guys age rather gracefully, right? Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, et cetera. But now that there is legitimate PED testing in baseball, you're not seeing that. You're seeing more natural aging curves. And so guys are starting to fall off in their 30s. Guys' bodies are breaking down, sometimes substantially, in their 30s. And this is happening when guys are at their most expensive. So, like, it's such an obvious thing when you think about it from a club perspective, anyway. It's like, why should we ever pay? mega money to guys in their 30s. And honestly, when I become a baseball owner, that's going to be my policy. I, I, would just, I would just be like, look, I'm not against paying the Juan Sotos and Fernando Tatises of the world, guys in their 20s, lock those guys up for you know, 8, 10, 12 years. But I'm not paying guys as they go into their 30s. It's a recipe for disaster. I don't know how many times clubs have to be burned by these contracts until they finally smarten up. And so not to reiterate everything we said about Trey Turner this week, but that's the idea here. Why should the learners, why should the Nats get burned by another deal on which you pay a guy going into his 30s mega money? And it's not to say that Trey Turner isn't a very good player, isn't a good dude. It's just to say the history screams that this is what happens. And the Anthony Rendon news of this week, I mean, you couldn't have timed that any more appropriately from a Nationals perspective of all this outrage from at least some people. I, I think a lot of people listen to this podcast are on board with what Mark and myself have been saying, but you know, this outrage to whatever extent it, it exists over the trading away of Trey Turner. And then, oh yeah, Anthony Rendon, we let him go. How's he doing? Uh, he's out for the season because of surgery needed for a right hip impingement. He had a bad season this year. He's just entering his 30s. This is only year two of his seven-year $245 million contract with the Angels. It's an interesting topic to me. And uh, obviously everything that's gone down with the Nats here 
has uh, really shined a spotlight on this. But I think it's an important topic. Like when it comes to roster construction, when it comes to club building, when it comes to viewing baseball teams from the perspective of a general manager, like these are the things you got to be thinking about. These are the things I promise you that Mike Rizzo and his staff are constantly thinking about and having discussions about. We'll keep the feedback coming. A lot of smart emails. We really do appreciate all of them. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us too, at Nats underscore chat. I also wanted to make mention of this. This podcast, number 19 in the country in the Apple Podcast rankings in the U.S. baseball category. And I bring that up as a salute to you. That is a reflection of you, your loyalty, you downloading this podcast, you listening to this podcast, you giving this podcast five-star ratings, you writing very nice reviews of this podcast. That's what those rankings are based on. So that's a credit to you guys. So sincerely, thank you for your support of this podcast. Uh, It really means a lot. And I know I speak for Mark and Tim when I say that. All Nationals radio highlights on the Nats Chat podcast are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. Mark Zuckerman, Tim Schobers, will be back the next time we do this podcast. In the meantime, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next installment of the Nats Chat podcast. Swing and a ground ball inside first down the right field line. It hits the side fence. Flores races around third. He'll score standing up, and the Wings have won it 2-1. to one. Lane Thomas ends the game with an RBI single that he slapped right inside the first base bag and up the right field line. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.